got some uh, ground to cover this morning out of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, we're going to be going uh, then to Matthew very quickly. 1 Corinthians 3, beginning of verse 10. Paul has been writing to this church, and he wants them to be able to stand. He wants to help them to grow up and to live a life that would be pleasing to the Lord in a time of difficulty, in a time of uh, great evil and wickedness where Corinth was, but it's for us even today. Verse 10, uh, 1 Corinthians 3, for uh, by the grace God has given me, let me go back to 9 and finish it up with that verse, uh, we are God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ, Yeshua Messiah. He's the one. Verse 12, if anyone builds on this foundation using gold and silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day will bring it to light, it will be revealed to fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Go to Matthew chapter 7, get some of Jesus' words, Matthew chapter 7. And Jesus, I think last week we looked at Luke chapter 6, but today, Matthew chapter 7, the same uh, story that Jesus told just from Matthew's writing. Verse 24, Matthew 7, 24. It says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, Jesus says, and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the steam streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Verse 26. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. We saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that God is interested in how things are built. And in that passage back in uh, 1 Corinthians 3, there were three aspects of it, past, present, and future. The past was no other foundation can any man lay than has been laid. There is no other foundation than the Lord Jesus Christ, his life, his sent from the Father. I, I give you my son, my only begotten son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have ever, everlasting life. He has come in the world. He died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again the third day. The foundation has been laid, and that's the only one is Christ Jesus. If you're a believer here this morning, you should stand on that and understand that, that you are your foundation is the rock, Christ Jesus. And that's the, the parable he gave in Luke chapter, or Matthew chapter 7, where that foundation is one who hears the word and does it is built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So that's John 1 and verse 1. But he's the rock. He's the rock of our salvation, the, the, the foundation. Well, the second part in that passage that Paul writes to them, he says it's your present. Be careful how you are building on that foundation. 
be careful what you're doing, how you are building your life, how you're walking, how you're maturing, how you're growing. What kind of quality does that have with it? Is it good stuff or is it not? Is it something that's going to be valuable and precious or is it going to be something that's just uh, wood, hay, straw, just going to be blown away? What is it? In other words, there's going to be, uh, there's, there has to be care on how you build. He says it, be careful how you build on your foundation. And the third part of that is future. At that day, every man's work will be judged. Every man's woman's work will be inspected to see if it passes the inspection. To see if it's up to what it was claimed to be and the fire will see to it. Uh, we call that in the scripture and theology the judgment seat of Christ. Where we're going to stand before him and we're going to lay our crowns at his feet. But what is going to be there? What's going to be left? Is it going to be something valuable? Is it something that's going to last? The test is going to reveal it. Many of us have uh, in, in our worlds where we live or work, we have testing going all the time. Uh, if you can pick up a light bulb or something, you see UL tested, a little symbol. United Laboratories have tested the light bulb, made sure it came up to what it was said to be. Uh, back in my day as a plumber, and um, I saw an article, he said, I gave up being a, a pastor so I could be a plumber. I said, there's something wrong with that title. I gave being a plumber to become a pastor. I read the article. I might go back to being a plumber, but I don't know. Anyway, but back in the day, uh, we had a, a testing company here in Akron that wanted to test fire uh, protection systems on steel treatment. And there was never one built like that in the United States or ever, actually in the world. It was some engineer's idea. This furnace was five foot by five foot by five foot a cube. And it had, I piped all the electric, I mean, not the electric, to the gas and the oxygen. And it would, um, so the day it was going to start this thing, it was experimental. And they were going to put pieces of steel, cover it over with asbestos, and see what would happen. Well, many of them blew up. But at the initial testing, I kissed Judy goodbye in the morning. I said, honey, I may not return. This is going to be, your house has about three ounces of gas pressure to put into your uh, water heater and furnace and so forth. Uh, this was five pounds of gas. Uh, the opening was a quarter inch around of flame and uh, took a half inch line to light it and then it needed oxygen because you need fuel and oxygen, all those things. It heated up to about almost 4,000 degrees in four seconds. And I said, you know what, I need to go home. This is far, and everybody said, turn it back, turn it back. But it was a testing thing. And companies would send in their product and get it blown up and see how much heat it could take and so forth. And they could put a stamp on it. It has survived the test. It has gone through and was inspected by fire, and you can trust this one, or uh, please never use this again in your life. It's not going to work. Life is like, the, the Bible says that my life is going to be like that too. I'm not going to be put in a five-by-five-by-five five five box and turn up the heat and see how I, I scream. Ah, that's hot. Please get me out of here. I'm not going to be that way. But there's something about it that God says that that day, at the last day, when that happens and I stand before him, it's going to be burned up. How's it going to stand? So it's quality that's very, very important to do. In 2009, I came across a Marine's preparation for his one year entering as a Marine. From June to August, that was a time of personal training and discipline. He had to get prepared. Personal training and discipline from September to December with a basic skills training. How to use a weapon, how to survive in various situations. From January to May with specific training uh, 
exercises for, to see if you can live in a desert or the Arctic or the mountains or the jungles or whatever kind of thing that would happen. And by June the next year, you were sent to, in 2009, the writer said, I was sent to Afghanistan to fight. Now we know about all that uh, debacle, but anyway, this was the training that a man went through for a year. How are you trained? How are you walking through life? How are you building that thing in order to withstand and survive when the battle comes? When Jesus talked about the storm that's going to come, the things are going to happen, they're going to test what's going on in your life. How are you going to do it? 1989 to about 2013, uh, I was privileged to teach at Montana Wilderness School of the Bible two weeks every year for about 24 years. And in that course, I taught one week on the, uh, how, uh, I taught it so much I can't even remember what it was. Okay. Equipping today's Christian for spiritual battle. That's what it was. How to be equipped to do the battle. How to be equipped, how can I help you to be equipped in order to stand in this day. Paul is doing the same training to the church of Corinth. I'm doing the same speaking to you, bringing you up because I care that you stand when the battle comes, when the storm comes, when things that are happening around us begin to affect you personally, not out there, but here in your heart, in your family, here, how are you going to stand? Well, over a thousand young people went through that school, and I had those at that time. So I was privileged to pour into a thousand students, so 50 a year for all those years. But here's the deal. We had to discover the balance between fear and curiosity, ignorance, and uh, to confront the lie. If we don't talk about the devil, he won't bother us, maybe. If we don't talk about wickedness, maybe it'll never happen to me. If we don't talk about struggle, maybe it'll never happen. Well, all of you know that that, all that's a lie. It's going to happen whether you like it or not. Jesus said in this world you're going to have uh, trouble, persecution, but be of good cheer. I've overcome that, but you need to be aware of that. So we talked about those. We had to uh, beware of being simplistic about it. You know, just, okay, that's, that's fine. Uh, ignore the facts, it's okay. Or fatalistic. You know, it's all been determined before I came. What am I going to do? I just have to go along with it. Nobody can change things the way they are. Or we just get passive about it, and we lack energy, no action, and we had to do something in those classes, and so I'm attempting to do in these last couple of weeks, is to go back and analyze our foundations. You say, well, I've got that established. Well, do you? Are you building on that foundation? So I want to go after that. And many of the young people, as they came, some came from Christian homes, where they had to discover, is my faith my mom and dad's faith, or is it mine? We had students that came that got saved in college and now wanted to learn about God and came to this school. Had from all over the place to learn. And we had to examine foundation. Am I building on mom's, dad's faith, grandma's faith, or am I, do I have my own and I'm going to build on that foundation? We had to establish life, what you're building it on. And so last week we looked at one, and that was building on a faulty foundation, which is called ignorance. One of the foundations that will fail you is if you don't, you know, just don't know, and you're just sort of building your life just to live. And we saw that God speaks to that through his word. You don't know me. You don't understand me. You don't, you're not walking according to my word. You know, you go back and you see uh, people that, listen, people just don't read their Bible. 
I pray that you do. I pray that you read the word of God so that you might know him, that you know the words of Jesus, you understand his heart. You know, you, you never look at the words of Jesus. You don't look how he thinks and sees things. You're ignorant of the truth. And the problem is if you build on that kind of, a, of, of an attitude, uh, we've got to change it. You've got to go to God's word to, to read it and observe and to overcome your ignorance with truth. Otherwise, you're in danger of being led aside, led astray by every wind that comes down the road. Well, this guy says that. I think that's true. Well, that guy's, well, did you, do you know? Get built upon the word of God. You can be led astray, and that's an important issue. We've got to be careful because there's so much stuff coming across that sounds good, but it is as much a lie as anything. But it sounds good. Let me give you just one example, one of the lies that are out there just last week and the week before. There was a survey taken in 2022 of 1,000 Christian senior pastors across denominational lines, across churches, across the United States. So it wasn't just one group of people, evangelical people, Christian, claim to be Christian pastors. One-third of the senior pastors believe that you can earn a place in heaven, you can go to heaven, you can be saved simply by being a good person. Now, doesn't that sound good? That you can just be a good person. You're going to make it. Everything's fine. You're going to be, listen, your good works are going to be measured. You're going to be fine. A third, 30%. Another, that's probably the same third, but a third of them answer the question and believe that the Holy Spirit is not a person. It's simply a symbol of God's power. Now, I'm talking about not, not uh, some uh, alcoholic living on the streets. I'm not talking about someone who doesn't know God. I'm talking about senior pastors who are standing in pulpits just like this one saying, the Holy Spirit is not really a person, just the power of God. That's all is symbolic. That's a lie. The Holy Spirit is a real person who dwells inside of us, who empowers us to live for God. We must know the Holy Spirit. They believe that moral truth is subjective. That sexual relationship between two unmarried people who love each other is morally acceptable. God calls that stuff fornication. Having sex outside of a marriage covenant of marriage is called fornication. If you're in that relationship and you have an affair or something, that's called adultery. The Bible calls it that way. And it's sin. It's wrong, but people are being taught, well, it's okay. Come on, you just love each other. They're beginning to say that... Uh, the biblical teaching on abortion is just very vague. It's not very clear. You can believe what you want about a life in a womb. That's a lie. That, that life inside of you is a baby. It's a child. But the world would have you say, in fact, the church sometimes says, that's not really anything. You can kill it even two weeks after it's been born thankful that God is raising up a people around and we're declaring it. No, it's sin, it's murder, it's wrong. But you see, if you don't know the word of God and you listen to the pundits, you listen to the words out there, they all sound good, right? But you're living and you're building your life on something that will never stand the test, the test of judgment. 
A large number of those don't read their Bible on a regular basis. They don't have prayer. They don't do anything or worship. So why do they teach what they teach? Why do they do what they do? They're ignorant. They choose to walk in deception of the truth. Because the good works idea is based on another faulty, false lie. You know that. I pray you know what I'm saying. I pray that you understand. You, you can say, that's true, Pastor. I understand. I've got to be built upon the Word of God. And Jesus Christ is my foundation in my life. That's one of the faulty foundations that people are building on now. The second one, and here's where I'm going to just do my best to step on your toes, and that is tradition. Tradition, tradition, tradition. Well, we do it this way. Why? Because it's tradition. We built upon this. By the way, we all have traditions. Uh, for those that can go think back to your first months of your marriage, you probably ran into a lot of those things. My mom never did it that way. Well, my mom never did it that way. So how are we going to do it? We could go into the food issue. In fact, we had a shock when one of our daughter-in-laws from the South came into our family, and it was Thanksgiving time. And what did she demand for Thanksgiving? Mac and cheese. Said, so now listen, we don't have mac and cheese. We have turkey and dressing and mashed potatoes with gravy and some fresh corn. What is mac and cheese doing? So you know what we do now? Mac and cheese comes on the table. Why? We're going for her tradition. Her mom and dad, her mom did it. That's what we're going to do. You know, there, there's traditions we all have for food, different ways of making things. That's not the way my mom made chili. Is that right? Well, my <laughs> am I talking to anybody? I mean, do you remember that being, okay, those, those traditions? How about oyster stew on Christmas Eve? Now I'm talking, you know, there's, there's stuff that not everybody has that tradition. We can go to food. We can walk down that road all day about traditional foods that we have. And not all those are bad, but they're traditions, right? Well, how about dress? You know, it's easy around here to look at the Amish and say, well, look at their dress. That's tradition. Well, that came about in the 1700s, 1800s because they said, as a church, we're not going to go along with the fashions of the world. And they don't. They have the same clothing styles that were way back there in the 1700s. But at that time, it was fashionable. But then they said, no, we're not going to do it. So it's easy for us to say, well, that's an Amish. But how do we know they dress that way? I read something just the other day. never knew this. and may not be true in all groups or whatever. But they don't have pockets in their pants. Because pockets can hold secret things. And if you have something secret hidden from people to see, that can make you proud. Or that can get, make you feel better than other people. And it doesn't conform to the group. There's other groups of people that we could look at. In fact, I was interested to see about the Sabbath and the Jewish traditions. I'm not sure you know about this. Probably 200 countries in the world, 200 cities in the world, have what is called the Eruv, E-R-U-V, Eruv. And what it is, it is a fishing line that's extending 15 feet in the air that surrounds the city. In Manhattan, New York, there's a fishing line 15 feet off the air that goes 18 miles. And that fishing line is checked by a rabbi every Thursday to be sure that 
the wind hasn't blown over or a branch hasn't fallen on it because it must be continuous. It costs them anywhere from 100 to 150,000 a year to maintain that, and they have never, in the article I read about it, have never missed it. They've always had that continuous line. And where it comes from is when the Bible talks about keep the Sabbath holy in the laws or traditions that come of that is you can't leave your dwelling. You can't, if you step outside your dwelling, you are not following the law. So what do they do? They make all of Manhattan your dwelling by that string, that fishing line that goes around. Now I could look at that and say, isn't that weird? Isn't that strange? Their tradition, their things that we build on are traditions. Because a tradition is really an inherited, established, or customary pattern of thought, action, or behavior. It's just an agreed upon action or behavior, tradition, a social custom. It's a belief or a story or a body of beliefs relating to the past that are commonly acceptable in history, although you can't verify it, but it's a tradition. The handing down of information or beliefs or customs by word of mouth or by example from one generation to another without written instruction. Most of you all remember this story of the uh, bride who comes in and cooks uh, the beef and cuts it in half. And they said, well, why are you doing that? Well, because my mom did it. You go back, well, it, it must be because it gets more cook, cooked better and stuff. You go back to grandma. Well, my mom did that. Go back to great grandma. And they had, she was still living. He said, how come we cut our, our roast in half? Well, I never had a big enough pan. I had to cut it to fit. So now, three generations later, we do that. Why? It's a custom. It's a tradition. The cultural continuity. It's a way of doing things. We can laugh at those kind of things because you don't do it. You know? But if it's yours, then it gets difficult. That's mine. Here's the problem. Go to Matthew chapter 15. I'm, I'm saying that we got to be careful on what we're building, and Jesus confronted it. The idea that my traditions, the things I do, are going to make me a better person. In fact, I'll say this in a minute. I'll say it now. I'll probably say it again in a minute. Is that when I do something because I, this is my tradition, I now hold it tight and judge you for not doing the way I think it ought to be done. So in the world or in the church, oh, that's what those people do, but we don't do that. Or we do that and they don't. You understand what I'm saying? It can be judgment. Now listen to what Jesus said in his day to those around. Matthew 15, then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus. Now he's up in the Galilee, Galilee region. He's teaching. He's preaching. And many people are following him. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law came to him from Jerusalem. They went all those miles up to where he was teaching and asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, I don't know about you, but I taught to wash my hands before I eat, right? Nothing wrong with that tradition. There's no law that says you have to. In fact, I remember years ago up in the upper chapel, I used to do a children's class or a children's little teaching before the pastor would preach, and I'd get all the little children up, and I have this little course. But I was a plumber, and my hands were stained with 
uh, oils from cutting uh, gas pipe and, and ABS cement and stuff. They were clean, but they were all stained. And I remember one day, I'm teaching away, and we did this class, and the kids went to their Sunday school classes then. And then the next week, a mother came to me, and she said, we got to talk about something. I said, what? Well, my little, uh, his name was Dana, I think. Dana says to his mother one day when she said, Dana, go wash your hands. It's time for supper. I don't have to. I'm not going to. You're going to go in and wash your hands. No, I'm not going. Why aren't you going to wash your hands? Jim Schumann doesn't wash his hands. He doesn't wash his, so I'm not washing mine. Guess what my lesson on was next week? You better wash your hands because I don't want your mom to come spank me. <laughs> you know. You see, things happen, and here's the, here's the, the Pharisees coming and said, why aren't, your, why aren't your disciples washing their hands before they eat? Now look what he says. Jesus replied, and why, so he goes on, he said, now why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father and mother is devoted to God, they're not to honor their father and mother with it. Thus, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. And he goes on and talks about what comes in and out of a man. But this is the part that I want you to see. What they were doing, there was something in markets called Corban, C-O-R-B-A-N, Corban. It was that you could designate part of your income and make that money that you have dedicated to the Lord. Once it's dedicated to the Lord, you can do what you want to with it, but you can also not do some things because it's Corbin. And they were saying, my mom and dad need help, but I can't help them because all my money is over here. So he said, what you're allowing people to do is go against the word of God that says, honor your mom and dad, take care of them, give them that place, don't curse them, but bless them. And you, in your traditions, are saying, we got mom and dad over here. They can't make it. They're not being taken care of. And you're allowing people to be smug about and say, well, you know, I really help mom and dad, but I'm a spiritual person. I've dedicated my money to the church. Jesus said, you're a bunch of hypocrites. In fact, he quotes that in the prophet Isaiah 750 years before. He said, this people honors me with their lips, their actions, their traditions, but they are dishonoring me. Their hearts are far from me. They worship me in an empty, useless way. Their teachings are merely human rules. I hope you're getting what I'm talking about. That tradition can hold us up and we think, well, I'm doing good because my tradition says this. Well, the Bible says, well, it doesn't matter what the Bible says. My tradition says this. Jesus challenged that and went after that. You say, we say, I'm a good person because of this and that. And this is how I pray and I do it this way. And so I'm better. This is where I'm building my life. 
Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. I mentioned earlier that I was going to talk about clapping. One of the traditions that have kept me from entering into the things of God in worship and understanding what it means to walk in freedom was some of the traditions about things like clapping in church or giving a shout of praise to God or singing in the spirit or whatever gift might be evidence is because we never did that. In fact, when I was a kid, we talked about people and they were given a name called Holy Roller. All those people over there, they clap. They shout. I don't know if you read the book lately. It's called the book of Psalms. You ever read that? Clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. What about those verses? Well, that's not my tradition. I'm not going to do that. And I'm, my personality is such as I, I'm just so reserved and so reverent in church. Could I follow you to the next football game you go to? When your team is driving down, and it'll be the go-ahead touchdown. Can I watch how you cheer on your team and tell me about your personality? Say, well, I can't do that because I'm so, I'm so spiritual. I've seen spiritual people at football games. In fact, I was at a game uh, a couple weeks ago at, at Lake, and, and a guy I know in town came up to me, and he said, what are you doing here? Preachers aren't allowed to be at football games. I said, well, that's what my grandpa used to say. He told me. He's just giving me a hard time. Can I really cheer? He said, yeah, I just, I just giving you a hard time, preacher, because he knew who I was. You see, we pretend to be something other than we really are, that God made us to shout unto him. In fact, the shouts in the Old Testament, I read that, it says the nations trembled when they heard the shout of triumph and the shout of the victories of God and the declaration that God is on the throne and we're going to worship him and shout unto him and give him praise. Now, the problem is, is your tradition is keeping you in your seat, and you're going, oh, I can't do that. Now, ask me, tell me this. If you build your life on that kind of an issue, you haven't been building it on the Lord Jesus Christ. And cast, in fact, when the disciples came back, boy, am I ever far away from where I want to go. But when the disciples came back, after Jesus sent them out two by two, 70 of them, they went out and they preached the gospel. They came out and they came back rejoicing. He said, Jesus, even the demons obey us. And dead are raised and people are healed. And the Bible says, and Jesus rejoiced. But do you know what the Greek word is? He jumped up and down and spun around with joy. And he said, God, Father God, you have revealed them to babies and are happy and are joyful. So get free. Let it go. What? Listen, if, now listen, I have been in those kind of churches before. I went to one with my, as a family, we went to one, and people are up and jumping up and down. Do you know what? That doesn't make you spiritual. Can I say that on top of this issue of traditions? It doesn't make you a better person than anybody. In fact, I know some of the people that were in that church and how they lived, and they didn't live for Jesus. So here's what happens with traditions. If I look like that, if I do this, then I can hold myself up and say, pretty good. But if you don't live it, it's a faulty foundation. 
It has to be birthed out of a relationship with Father God that should come. You see, man's tradition. Okay, I went to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. We didn't read it. 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God, not of works, so that no one can boast. You can't boast in grace. It's grace given to us by God. So that one-third of senior pastors that I quote about don't know this verse. It's not by works of righteousness. Let's look at that verse, Titus 3, 5. It's not of works lest any man should boast. Go to Titus, the book of Titus. If you find Timothy, Titus is the next one. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. And he saved, well, go back. But when, verse 4. When the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that after having been justified by grace, we may be heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy statement, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. Let me finish with this. Man's traditions can keep you from growing in the Lord. Can keep you from that. Well, I, I don't know. It can keep you. So we got to examine that. I've mentioned it more than once. We judge one another by how we dress, what we look. Fights come about because of traditions. I remember when I was a kid, I was just a teenager, and the church uh, had a building similar to ours. You could take the seats out and have dinner. And I remember, I was just young, probably 14, 13, 14 years old, and I remember that we were going to take the pews out and have a church dinner. And one of the older ladies in the church has said, you are violating the house of God. I will never come back to this church. Because they took out the things and put tables. Could I remind you that the church is not a building. The church is the body of Christ. That's you. That's me. This building is a building. Thank God for the building we can meet in. But this is traditional. Put rows. Preacher, get up here and preach at you. With you. For you. Loving you. Holding on to us all. <laughs> you see, but it's Jesus. It's his life in us. Now, there's good traditions. There are. Plenty of them are really good. There's nothing wrong with them. One of our family, a couple weeks ago, went out and picked apples. They do it every year. It's a harvest time. And as a family, they've done it. It's a tradition. We're going to go and pick apples. I never did that. We're glad we got an apple. But now they go get their own. It's a wonderful tradition. There's nothing wrong with tradition. It holds us together at times. But it's when we build our lives. Paul said, I made a mistake of building my life on the zealousness I had for the traditions of men. But he came to him. Make sure you're built on Christ. Listen, if I or you are built on the tradition of men, I've got to examine those traditions in the light of God's word and eliminate any that are unscriptural. There are good traditions based upon the word of God that I want to hold on to. You see, it's coming to this. But to base your faith on because I do these things, I'm a Christian, is dangerous. 
There's a hymn that says, my faith is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name, on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Would you just allow God to just sort of shake you up a little bit to look and say, how am I living? What am I building? What am I doing in this time to be able to stand? I'm going to go back to the very beginning of this message. I talked to young people to say, if you're going to survive in your Christian walk from here on, you've got to be building on the right way. Because too many, and I've, I'll say myself as well, I built on things that I didn't know anything about or I had traditions that weren't godly. And I had to go adjust those. I had to take the care of that. I had to get rid of those and begin to walk in the ways of God. And do my best, and you do your best, to walk according to the word of God. Would you stand with me as we sing this morning a song that says, Breathe on me, breath of God, the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit. Come and listen to me. Another tradition is about raising hands. And I'm not, there's no judging about anything. And I've told you this story before. I was an iconoclastic person when I first became pastor. Anybody know what an iconoclast is? It's someone that goes in and breaks up everything in the church. Busts the, the all, everything. Breaks things down. Well, we were up in the upper chapel. I just became a young pastor, 30 years old. I knew everything. And then, and we, uh, I put all the chairs in a circle. And I told this before. I was standing in the middle, and I would preach this one way, and then I'd unwind and preach this way so that everyone was in there. But we were learning that worship is part of the body, my body. I worship with my voice, my hands, and raised. And I remember there was a young uh, lady in the church, and she was learning to raise her hands. She said, Lord, I just want to be free to worship you, to exalt your name with my hands raised. And she could never get them up. She got them up this high. She got them up this high. And she got them up a little higher one day, one Sunday, and she said, this is a Sunday. And she said, Lord, I just want to worship you. I want to give you all my heart. I want to just be free to do this. And so her hands sort of went and started to go up. And they were going up and singing and eyes closed. Got them up out here and she looked across. Remember, we're in a circle and the, the person across her was about six feet away. And she looked at him and her hands went. She saw me after church. She said, don't you dare change this until I can look them right in the eye and put my hands up. And we did. My hands raised to God are for him. I hold my hands up to worship him. I hold my hands up so he can come to me. I say, come. Breathe on me. I raised my hands not to a police officer and surrender, but unto my king and surrendered. I said, oh, God. All that I have, I give to you. I'm not holding it on. I'm loving you. You might join me in. If you don't, nobody's going to judge you for that. It's not, this is not what this is about. It's about men should always lift their hands to the Lord. The Bible says that. Sing with me.